It sounds very spring-like on your end, I have to say. Is that bird here? Well, here, let me mute my microphone. And let's oh, talk. no, let's... it is. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was hearing that in my headphones, so I thought it was on your end. But oh, it's no, it's, right it's, outside it's, it's my definitely, definitely in your place. I apologize. You don't need to. It's going to it's gonna add a spring-like atmosphere to the whole podcast. Sure, sure. This is, um, we are St. Francis of the Islands, mm-hmm. so uh, mm-hmm. this is a uh, habitat for a number of different animals. It's wonderful. We have a possum, a raccoon, a lot of different birds. I feel like Francis would approve of this. <laughs> that's that's the goal. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. So yeah, I'm David. I'm an organist, and I'm Ian, and I'm a priest. And this is all things right and musical. So Lent is a good time for confession, and I want to confess to you and to our listeners that we obviously have not put any episodes out recently, mm-hmm. and um, I, I have a couple of really exciting episodes in the can that I just haven't managed to produce, and the reason why is because um, the month of January was a really exciting one for me and my family in terms of like COVID scares, and then I, I did finally get COVID um, at the end of January. Right. And, and I was going to say, it's, it wasn't just COVID scares. Right. Yeah. There was, a, there was an actual one. And it just wiped me out in terms of energy and um, also my, just my ability to sort of do anything mentally, to think, to think about anything. Um, sure. So that, that took me, I mean, it really took, a, a, I think, the better part of a month for me to start to feel like myself again after that. Um, and so I was... I was really trying to uh, to um, recover and and tend to my my own needs, and um, unfortunately, this is one of the first things I had to let go. But I'm very I'm very happy to be talking to you today, and I'm happy to happy to start work on this podcast again. Yeah, I, and me too. Uh, chiefly among the reasons why is because it means that you're actually feeling better. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was a relief to be able to say that to people um, because yeah. I you know I, I did have to go back and start doing things again, and, and people would ask, "Well, how how are you feeling?" And I'd say, "Well, I don't really feel like myself," <laughs> and and I I tried to be just sort of succinct in that answer, but it was also an honest one that I I didn't feel right yet. Sure. And um, yeah, so I know I know that that affects everybody differently. Um, that was my experience. Uh, not obviously not the most kind of serious um, experience with the virus, that, but um, certainly not not a trivial one. I mean, one one that it took me a while to really recuperate from. Yeah. 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 We're, I I think we we're realizing one of the things that we're realizing is that that um, our experience of sickness and illness tends to be very, tends to be viewed as a very temporary thing. Mm-hmm. And, and for a lot of people, and in a lot of cases, it's, it's different than that. It's, uh, it's, it's longer term and it takes longer to bounce back. And I don't think that we have a very good track record of making allowances for that or understanding when people need that. Right. And I think culturally, I mean, in, in my own church workplace and, and probably, church staffs in, in general, just the idea of sick time, um, time away when you're not feeling well is, is being treated a lot differently. I mean, that's this expectation has kind of been built in now that if you have symptoms, we don't really want you here. <laughs> that makes us right. uncomfortable. Right. And so I think, yeah, just um, 
the the modern workplace I think is is changing, uh, and cu- coupled with the whole working from home dynamic, um, the modern the modern workplace is changing. So today, yeah, today I, w- I just want to mention this because <laughs> I do intend to get this this episode out in a timely way. But I want to say what day today is that we're recording this. Sure. T- today is March fifteenth, which is right. a, a significant day in my mind um, because two years ago in twenty twenty, this was a Sunday morning. And, you know, things were happening at different rates across mm-hmm. the Episcopal Church. In my parish in the Diocese of Missouri, this ended up being the last, quote-unquote, normal Sunday. Now, it didn't feel normal because um, the hand sanitizer was out. And I think there was a lot of trepidation on the part of people about, you know, whether we should really even be there. And a big, mm-hmm. part, of the, a big part of the congregation kind of voted with their feet that day and stayed away. Sure. Um, but w- one, of the, one of the things that I'll never forget was just... A, a very real sense of anxiety that whole service about how closely the choir was sitting together and i thought this this probably is not a good thing and this can't happen again next sunday and obviously yeah. it didn't you know we got we got shut down the following sunday and you know the rest is history yeah it's uh so here we are two years out i mean th- this was I'm, I'm with you this was a very this was a, a memorable sunday because it was in that in-between time um this is not how everybody benchmarks it but i think the moment that it became real to me was march 12th 2020 mm-hmm. because that was the night that the nba canceled their whole slate of games oh right, right? yeah what what, what day and was so, that march 12th the 12th yeah because yeah. There, there were I, I remember that that feeling like there were things happening right big things were happening and, and then we were still going ahead with church kind of as normal and i knew that 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 was a t- that was a tension that needed to be resolved sure yeah. and it's and and i think until for me at least until that moment it hadn't it, it just didn't really hit me that this was basically everywhere right that this was something that that everybody was going to have to deal with yeah definitely and then so then we had the following sunday sort of in the wake of that knowing this is this is not just a not just a global pandemic, but it's a global pandemic that has reached America, and now we're going to have to deal with in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that Sunday was unique. We'll right. say. And I know that I know that memories like this are coming up for everyone. You know, this time of year and today, everybody sort of has these these um, signposts that that they remember where things changed. Mm-hmm. And and as you say, you know things are changing still, and and there are uh, many facets of of what we're doing that that seem like they're about to be or already are, kind of back to um, as much a sense of normalcy as they can be. Yeah, yeah. And and to be clear, I'm not advocating that things should be quote unquote normal or that they really are, and and everything's behind us. But but at least for where I live and the and the people that I tend to see regularly. I think that's where that's where everybody is mentally, right? Um, whether or not that's a a good place to be or an accurate way to frame it is another question entirely. Because mm-hmm. e- even if things don't stay, I mean, we we are recording this, you know, at, at the end of the Omicron spike, and I think we recorded kind of at the at the very beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if things don't stay at the at the low level that they are now you know, we can, we can kind of safely look around and say, okay, you know, this is a different situation than it was, um, six weeks ago. Uh, numbers, numbers have lowered again. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the, the risk to the, to the population as a whole. 
Right. And, and in terms of, I mean, this is the difficulty, right? Is that there, there's still going to be people who are at higher risk than others. The difficult thing about it is our reactions are different based on who the vulnerable populations are. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, the flu affects the, uh, particularly those with chronic conditions and the elderly and the particularly young. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, COVID primarily didn't affect the, the young, which is not to say that it, that there weren't any young people that it did affect, but, but the calculus, I think in how we treated it was different because it was more unpredictable in some ways, but also, um, affected the elderly in particular and affected those with, with long lasting health conditions, um, as well. And now that we're to the point where we where we can vaccinate people, we we tend to incorporate a lot of assumptions, right? So we assume that everybody who can be vaccinated is vaccinated if they want to be, and our assumption is that vaccine is going to be as effective for everyone. Well, that's not the case, right? If if you've got somebody who's got who's got an immune deficiency or is immunocompromised or or has some long lasting health conditions or, or disabilities, then it's not going to be as effective for them. And yet we've sort of decided that's the cost of doing business. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're, I say, we, a lot of people are ready to say, let's get back to the way things were. And it can feel for a lot of people, especially a lot of people in the church, because let's be honest, there are a lot of people with disabilities in the church. There are a lot of elderly people in the church. There are a lot of immunocompromised individuals in the church. It can feel like everybody's saying, we just don't care if you're here. Right. And I think that that's something that churches are, are dealing with in very tangible ways. Um, yeah. So there was this big uproar over the an, an op-ed in the, in the New York Times that kind of suggested that we need to end uh, online worship and just mm -hmm. all come back together. And, yeah. I, you know, I, uh, the timing of that was kind of unfortunate because the, sure. um, the, the pandemic was really not <laughs> the, the Omicron wave had not really um, even crested very much at the time that came out. Right. Um, but, but even if it were released now when levels are very low, Levels here are, I think, as low as they were last summer in July or something. Mm -hmm. um, there is still that point about uh, the accessibility that we've all, the accessibility to, to worship and music that we've, that we've um, become capable of out of necessity. Mm -hmm. That you know, the the idea of just shutting that off because we can come together, uh, I think that that idea has been re rejected by a lot of people. Sure, that it becomes more a question of both and rather mm -hmm. than either or just because we can gather back in person generally doesn't mean that everyone can again. And so, right. you know, why would you hit the off switch on the webcasting machine? If, you know, there are people for whom that's their, their that's their only connection to liturgy and music. Yeah. So, uh, that's a, a big ongoing debate. And, and one of the, I mean, one of the confounding factors of that is that there's limited time and resources, right? So is it, is it sustainable to keep doing specialized online services for every single parish? Not necessarily. Right. Mm -hmm, right. Um, so I, I just, 
there aren't any clear-cut easy answers, just like there never have been um, throughout this entire pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, yeah, and and big picture, like the pandemic is not over. So I think, you right. know, I want to be careful to, to not talk as if it is because um, I'm sort of expecting, you know, the next surge or the next variant or whatever. And then and then, you know, the, the calculus changes yet again and, and maybe maybe a way that we haven't considered yet. So, right. Yeah. One of the things that I saw come up in um, the Living Church was uh, a report on Ash Wednesday, and, <laughs> and that you know I'd have to look at the at the timeline. I think that pretty much fell at the height of the Omicron wave. Sure. And so there yeah, was, it was it was it was around there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was about it was about about a month ago, I guess. Yeah. So there was really a very real question of you know are we online? Um, what do we do in person? Um, and one of the one of the things from that article, and, and I, I hope that I'm interpreting this right, but there was a parish that was more or less like, well, you know, we don't need to be reminded of our mortality because death is all around us. So we're kind of we're kind of skipping the service, more or less skipping the service, or doing something that's not quite Ash Wednesday. I, I wasn't clear on exactly what they were doing. Uh-huh. Um, but that that idea didn't really rub me the right way. <laughs> the, right. You know, our liturgy should respond to realities and current events. But I, d- I don't think just because death is all around you um, means that you don't want to oper- offer an opportunity for people to worship on Ash Wednesday. Well, and uh, so what's, I mean, what's most interesting to me is Ash Wednesday, for a lot of parishes at least, Ash Wednesday is is quite possibly the third most popular day of the year. Oh yeah, worship you've, you've, day of you've the talked year. about that. Yeah, in in, in right? many places, I, I don't think that's true in my parish, but I think it may not be. In many and places, and you're right. maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but especially for a service that is always midweek, which is a sketchy time, right? Most places that have a midweek service are lucky to get. A dozen people or sure, so, sure. Unless it's a unless it's a really enormous sized parish, right? Mm-hmm. But a midweek service, no matter what time of day you have, it's it's unlikely to get a significant amount of people. But Ash Wednesday, people show up. Um, there are almost always in every place people who will come to that service. It's a and it's a powerful enough service that we've developed all these ways to try and encourage people to attend even when they can't fully attend, right? Right. Even if they can't come to a service, we've developed ashes to go because it's enough of a symbol for a lot of people that it's that we've said we want you to have this even if you can't come sit in a service for half an hour. Mm-hmm. Well you might be you might be being generous with a half hour, but I, I take your point. What do you mean? Well, I think Ash Wednesday services, uh, the way that most places do them um, mm-hmm. with Eucharist, I, I think it's closer to an hour that it would take. Pro- uh, probably, but you don't. But the but the Eucharist is optional, right? That's so true. You That's could, true. But you could easily do a thirty or forty minute service that is the Liturgy of the Word and Imposition of Ashes, and that's what we did here mm-hmm. at the noon service. I'm, no, I'm glad to hear that because I think that's absolutely okay by the prayer book. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't, you know, for obviously this is a question of kind of your, your liturgical, your church's liturgical piety, I guess, you know, if, if you're the place where, where, you know, you would never question whether or not there's a Eucharist, then obviously you should do a Eucharist. But if you are a place where, um, you know, things are a little bit more permissive. Yeah. I just, I just think that it's become kind of de facto, like, Mm -hmm. uh, Ash Wednesday, of course, is part of Holy Eucharist and it's not part of anything else. Right. Um, But I think it could be, you know, is it, were, were you or someone else asking the question about whether it could be tied into morning prayer or evening prayer? I, I didn't ask that about morning prayer or evening prayer. I did ask if any places just did liturgy of the word. Ah, with it. there you go. Okay, so that that was your question. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, because I because I've only ever until this year I'd only ever been places that also had a Eucharist or did ashes to go right. Mm-hmm. So sort of both extremes, if you want to call it that, right? Because um, it does say it does say when communion follows. Yeah, right. I, I guess well, well, Ash Wednesday is a unique day, so it's not it's not like you would make Ash Wednesday a part of morning prayer or evening prayer, it would probably just be its it would probably just be its own thing. Yeah, I mean it's got a proper liturgy. It's a, a proper liturgies for special days is the section where it falls in the prayer book. So I would be I would be disinclined to do morning prayer plus Ash Wednesday. Right. right. And I'm trying to remember when we were at the cathedral and we had a, a regular rhythm of the daily offices um, being said in the morning and the evening. I don't think there was an additional evening prayer on Ash Wednesday. I mean, I think Ash Wednesday was the Eucharist, mm. the, the liturgy that we offered that day. Yeah. yeah. And this, I mean, so this is the interesting thing. And this is part of why this year I wanted to try out doing it is because Ash Wednesday is such a unique day in our calendar. First of all, it's one of the few fast days that virtually everyone observes in some capacity, even if they're not fasting. Mm-hmm. It's one of two obvious days of worship that you can count on a significant number of people showing up that is decidedly different and more somber and and less celebratory than your average Sunday morning, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you basically got that in Good Friday for moments where it feels decidedly unlike a feast, right? Right, right. And I I can't think of a third fast day. Maybe there is one. Right. But those are the two I can think of. Exactly. So you've got those two days, which are, which are both within the same, you know, narrow span of time. Mm -hmm. You've got these, and those two opportunities to sort of suggest to people that there's room in our liturgical calendar. There's room in our collective experience. There's a room in our communal life together for lament and for things not working out perfectly and for fasting and wilderness and lean times, right? Right. So why would you, why do we, why are we so inclined to immediately, immediately hedge against that in the Ash Wednesday liturgy? I I don't know how widespread that attitude was. I mean, it was mentioned in this article, so it made me wonder, you know, is that, is that attitude kind of uh, pervasive in other places? I don't know the answer to that. Well, it is. I mean, I I don't know. I, I you know I couldn't quantify it, but it's not isolated. Okay. Right. Okay. You have people who you have you have. I mean, it's widespread practice to celebrate the Eucharist at the conclusion of Ash Wednesday services. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, virtually everyone does that. Not not entirely everyone, but I would put that at at least seventy five percent. Right. Right. Yeah. 
And it's not that there's anything wrong with that. And I don't mean to suggest that I'm, that I'm calling into question anybody who did that, but it, it does. And one of the ways that I heard it explained at one point in time is I would never diagnose an issue without, without, uh, administering the medicine for it. Hmm. Okay. Well, why do we never, I mean, if that's the case, if, if the diagnosis is sin and the medication is, is repentance and is Eucharist, we have very few days in our calendar year where we sit with that diagnosis and, and sort of reckon with it, with what it means. And Ash Wednesday has the possibility to be one of those. And yet we immediately sort of want to hedge against it. We immediately want to make it make people feel better. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. I mean, when you put it in, in that kind of context where it's one of our two fast days, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I do think we need to kind of honor the prayer book's intention that there be a proper liturgy for that day. And then, yeah. and then, you know, the question about whether there's Eucharist or not is a separate question. Well, but it's, I mean, but it's not. And I, and again, I want to say this without without impugning the motives or the thinking or anything of anyone who thinks differently than me. But it seems to me that if we want to say this is one of two fast days that we're really going to observe, then we're going to conclude it with the Paschal feast. Hmm. Well, and that, so that's interesting because the, the rubric maybe doesn't expect, doesn't expect it necessarily. The page mm-hmm. 269 of the prayer book, it says right. when communion follows. So, I mean, it's not, it's not explicit, you know, then you do communion. Right. Um, it does seem to be, the question in fact seems to be posed by the rubric on that page. Sure. And, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying you can't do it or you shouldn't do it or no one should do it or anything like that. But my question is why haven't we thought more, more deeply about this or, or if we haven't, why haven't we, right? Isn't it worth considering holding off the Eucharist on Ash Wednesday and and sitting with that and seeing how that makes us feel and how it affects our understanding and relatedly, right? So that's one, that's one, I think, common way of approaching Ash Wednesday that helps potentially to dull a little bit of the, the bite of Ash Wednesday. Oh, that's interesting that you, you sort of take solace in the familiar patterns of the Eucharist because if you, I mean, one of the things that's always struck me about that day it's a little bit of deja vu. Um, I think every time I've done this under, under, you know, non COVID circumstances, the ashes are distributed at the communion rail. So you go up and you get ashes. Um, and then the sacrament is just, is distributed at the communion rail. So you go up Mm -hmm. and you receive the sacrament. So you're sort of, you know, the congregation is sort of making this procession, um, up to the communion rail twice. And Mm -hmm. it does feel a little bit, it does feel a little bit funny, um, that, you know, it, it would stand in sharper relief if on, if on Ash Wednesday, the one time we went to the communion rail was not to receive the bread of life, but to receive the ashes of death. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, like, I, I don't know. I just think there's potentially value in sitting with that for a while and seeing how that, how that weighs upon us or interacts with us differently than immediately following it with Eucharist. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, um, 
The other thing that I've seen fairly commonly is people modifying the words at the at the imposition of the ashes. Oh, really? Is this like the baptism story? So it, it makes the ashes invalid. Those people didn't. Those people <laughs> well, didn't actually not. receive ashes. <laughs> it's like, oh no, your ashes, your ashes are invalid. I mean, so this is I, this might come as a shock to some Episcopalians, but the ashes, it turns out, are not a sacrament of the church. <laughs> What, what do we do with the ashes? Do we do we bless them? Uh, well, it's a prayer. Um, I guess it's not actually a blessing. It's on two sixty five. If ashes are to be imposed, the oh, celebrant okay. says the following prayer. I see. So it's not even really officially a blessing, mm-hmm. um, but a prayer over them. Mm-hmm. And then the words at the imposition are, of course, "Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return." But I've seen a number of people modify the words to say something along the lines of remind to, to remind people that they are still beloved children of God. Right. Interesting. I haven't encountered that. Um, and I've seen it too, you know, some people talking about, um, talking about, remember that you are ashes and stardust and sometimes even and and glitter ashes is another thing because there's, there's, uh, other reasons for glitter ashes as mm-hmm, well, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's uh, it's those are administered by talking about stardust as well. But these are the so the, again these are not hugely widespread practices, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But I think there are a number of people who modify those words of imposition in order to effectively blunt them a little bit. Right. 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 This this is supposed to be stark and it's supposed to be confrontational. Yeah, I mean I think so. It's meant to be uncomfortable and and you can you can make the argument and I'm sympathetic to it that for some people pastorally this may not be this may not be the right thing to say at any given moment, right? Yeah. Um but I think people who come there come there because because Ash Wednesday is one of the few times in our in our entire adult lives, right, mm-hmm. where we confront the bare, naked, unadulterated truth about finitude and death. Mm-hmm. Right, and so these these impulses to soften it, to change the words at the imposition of ashes, or or even the sort of de facto inclusion of of Holy Communion as part of the rite. You're saying that we should we should kind of re-examine that a little bit. I would I would agree. I I, I think yeah I think we should examine it mm-hmm. right. Yeah. I'm not saying we should never offer communion at Ash Wednesday, and we did two Ash Wednesday services, and we didn't do communion at one, and we did at the other. Okay. So I, I I'm not holding one up as a right way to do it. But that also yeah, that's interesting. No, that's that's this is a this is a kind of unique. Um, Anglican, maybe Anglican take on the, on the office. Cause I, I just looked up in the 1928 book, it's called a penitential office for Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that doesn't seem to, that doesn't seem to give any expectation that there be communion. Right. The rubric in the 1928 book sort of suggests that this office for Ash Wednesday might follow the great litany, or it may be used with morning prayer or evening prayer or as mm-hmm. a separate office. So that actually does set up some different contexts in which it might be used, none of which are the Eucharist. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that was another... So when, when you talked about using the office by itself, 
I, I was actually wondering about that, if you might not combine this with the Great Litany, because um, I think that could be sort of another um, another kind of appropriate offering for the day. Sure. There, there would be something other than um, Eucharist. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in favor of using the litany more frequently than we do. Yeah. Um, it, it might be it might be too much penitence because, of course, <laughs> the um, Ash Wednesday liturgy does have its own litany, litany of penitence, which it calls the litany yeah. of penitence. Um, and and that kind of leads me to another sort of observation that I made this season is that uh, in in one parish that I know of, the litany of penitence was used on the first Sunday of Lent uh, rather than the great litany, hmm. um, which, you know, there, there is the suggestion that you use it, uh, on, on page 269, it says the litany of penitence may be used at other times. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, in a past year, um, you and I have talked about the invitation to a Holy Lent being used, mm-hmm. um, kind of on the Sunday, maybe on the Sunday. Um, but m- maybe, maybe we haven't talked about other places, this litany of penitence, could be used. Now, personally, I'm partial to the Great Litany, so I'd sort of rather see that uh-huh. on the first Sunday of Lent. But I think the Litany of Penitence could certainly be used on Sundays in, in various ways. Sure. Yeah, I um, I like the Litany of Penitence fine. Uh, it's not bad. I think the Great Litany, part of the, the beauty of the Great Litany is that it really seems to touch on virtually everything. Yeah. Um, and so brings to mind, it's almost like it has a more holistic view of the faith because yeah. it brings to mind all the different things that we could potentially intercede suffer. for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, it just seems to have a lot of, um, it just seems to have a lot of collective wisdom. Like that prayer was, none of that prayer was written by accident. Right. Yeah, pl- plague, plague, pestilence, and famine make an appearance in the Great Litany, and we don't ask, we don't ask that God spare us from those things because we know uh, it's it's all together with kind of natural disasters: lightning, tempest, earthquake, fire, flood, plague, pestilence, famine. All of those are in a single petition, and what we're asking is, "Good Lord, deliver us." We, we right. know we know that these things are part of the condition of living on Earth. So we don't expect them to to skip over us, but we do ask that we be delivered from them. Right. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of All Things Right and Musical. If you've enjoyed this episode about the pandemic and Ash Wednesday, we hope you'll tell us about it. You can find us on the web at writeandmusical.org. That's R-I-T-E and musical.org. You can also follow the hosts and the show on Twitter or send us a man... You can also follow the hosts and the show on Twitter or send us an email at writeandmusical at gmail.com. A special thanks to our generous patrons who support this show on Patreon. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.